0: Welcome to the First Right Podcast, a weekly conservative news show brought to you by Restoration Pack. I'm Doug Truax, founder and president of Restoration Pack. Today, we are blessed to have first-time guest and one of the finest investigative reporters in America, John Solomon. We are so lucky to talk to John, whose distinguished career has taken some very interesting twists, from mainstream media reporter to conservative journalist and entrepreneur. There's probably no one better in the United States to comment on the complete disintegration of traditional media in this country and the emergence of conservative media well hey john thanks for coming on today great to join you well this is a real treat for us so uh, we love all that you've done over the years you've got this great uh, storied career and so if you could in a nutshell i'm not going to do it justice so if you could talk it through real quick and just tell our <laughs> viewers uh you know where you started and how, how you got to where you are today
1: yeah listen i've been just so blessed to have a, a really fun career so i started as a 17 year old reporter for upi the old united press international Moved to the Associated Press wire service when I was 19. Worked more than two decades for them. Uh, then I went and became the lead national investigative reporter for the Washington Post. Uh, then was the executive editor of the Washington Times. Did a stint at the Hill newspaper, and then about 20 months ago, I opened up my own company called JustTheNews.com, and that's where I. Work today with about two dozen really great
0: great journalists. Yeah, and Justin News is doing great. So so Thank great you. work on the entrepreneurship. Something near and dear to yeah, my heart. On we that, love it. so so um, what happened in these newsrooms that you grew up in? That's the thing. You know, we all have been watching this long enough to say, well, it used to look like this, and now it looks like that. So you know, give us your perspective on what's happened over the years in these newsrooms.
1: Such a great question. Uh, you know, when I first came in, you weren't allowed to have a political opinion. And I've always adhered to that um, concept. I've never voted since I became a journalist who covered politics, because I thought it was the ultimate expression of bias and I couldn't vote for someone and then say I was being treating them uh, neutrally. So I look forward to the day when I retire and I can actually uh, exercise my right to vote again. But um, somewhere in the mid 2000s is when I, I noticed it, all through the 80s and 90s when I was working, almost every journalist, even if they had a political point of view, they kept it to themselves they treated the newsroom as a sacrosanct place where you didn't express opinions or, or uh, play politics, and you just treated everyone neutrally, whether they were Republican or Democrat. And, you know, some conservatives will say, well, there's always been a leftward bias. There may have been, I don't know. It, it seems like some of the older icons of our journalism generation, like Walter uh, Cronkite and, and uh, uh, some of the famed people later in life, they came out as liberals or Democrats, so maybe the conservatives were right about that. But for the practice of journalism, they kept their politics out. I noticed uh, there's a seminal moment that I remember thinking, my God, something has happened to my profession." And that was in the summer of 2007 when I was at the Washington Post. Um, I uh, was the lead national investigative correspondent, and it was the day that the verdict was uh, announced in the trial of scooter Libby, Dick Cheney's former chief of staff. He was found guilty of some crimes and large numbers of members of the Washington Post newsroom around me stood up and applauded the verdict. And it was the first time in my life I had ever seen such an overt expression of politics in a a newsroom that always had been sacrosanct to me not to have a political viewpoint. And I think from that moment forward, gradually year by year, month by month, uh, you began to see reporters lose that sense of neutrality. And, And I think social media, the rise of social media, Barack Obama's 2008 campaign was built on Twitter and Facebook. Um, all of a sudden, uh, journalists found this inner voice that they had, their opinion voice, and they blended their reporting and their opinion voice together. And I think to the detriment of our profession, you, you see our rankings continually to go down over the last decade or 15 years. And I think the American public wants us to go back to the future, wants to go back to the 80s and 90s when we were more neutral, to deliver the news in cool ways like this podcast, but to keep our political opinions to ourselves and give people facts, give us information, not indoctrination, give us news, not noise. And and part of the reason I started Just the News was I got so frustrated that I don't think I could work in any newsroom where I saw this much bias, so I decided to create my own newsroom and we've been very lucky to, to grow and start to build a core audience that likes the type of news that we do, which is transparent, no opinion, and if you don't, we don't ask you to take our word for it. We put all of our documents into a little uh, field called the Dig In tab. You, you click on that. Everything a reporter used to build a story is available to you, the reader. And we're, we say you're smart enough to go make up your own mind. Take our reporter's notebook and make up your own mind. And I think that promise to our readers is, you know, connected. And I, I hope the idea of transparency, neutrality, less opinion, more news. I hope that takes a catch that catches fire all across our profession. We need to go back to a different time when it comes to the principles and biases that we now seem to wear on our sleeves.
0: Yeah. And that's the heart of uh, a growing business as you're providing value and the value that people want right now is the news and the news is synonymous with the truth. And yeah. so that's what people are missing out on now. They don't feel like they can find the truth anywhere and you're delivering it to them and it's of high value to them. And so they're they're dialing in. Good for you. Good for you. I love it. Um, so uh, interesting story about the Scooter Libby thing and, and uh, you know, then, you know, the uh, the journalistic profession picking aside. You know, I think we all saw it happen. You definitely had that yeah. moment. Um, so Obama Spygate. Uh, let's talk about that. You've been on that for a long time. Um, so this is like a psychological thing for me in terms of what do these guys think? They're, they're, they call themselves journalists and they, then you have like this scandal like laying around on the floor and they won't even pick it up. So I just, what, what is, how can they live with themselves? Like these individuals in these newsrooms that say, yeah. I should be <clears> reporting <throat> on real things and they're looking at it and they're not doing it. So how do they, how do they square that in their mind, do you think?
1: You know, I don't know. It seems as though they're very disconnected to the values that they should have been taught at J School many years ago. Uh, There's an interesting dynamic going on at the Washington Post where I used to work and where I had a great year. I loved working at the Washington Post. I had a ton of fun. Uh, But one of my old colleagues at the Associated Press who grew up in my era of journalism where you're not allowed to have an opinion, you don't wear your politics on your sleeve, Sally Busby recently took over this newsroom. And uh, I think she's starting to bring some of the old AP values to this newsroom because when the latest indictment came down from John Durham And uh, it said that uh, uh, Christopher Steele's primary source, Igor uh, Igor Denchenko, had made up uh, an anecdote that was key to not only the Steele dossier, it was then used in the FISA warrants, that he had talked to uh, the Russian-American Chamber of Commerce guy, and this guy said that he was aware that there was a well-formed conspiracy between the Trump campaign and the Russians to hijack the 2016 election, that that entire anecdote was contrived. The conversation never happened. Danchenko never received a call, never talked to the man. Well, the Washington Post had reported for years that that conversation occurred. Sergey Milion, the, the man allegedly who had the conversation, has always denied it, but the Post didn't care. The Post continued to keep that story there. And I saw Sally Busby go into action. I saw her quoted in the story saying, you know what, we're going to re-report and find out if we were wrong. That's one of the first times in Russia collusion I've seen a news organization come out and say, you know, we're gonna go back and do what we used to do, retract, fix, correct. The New York Times has not fixed any of its erroneous reporting on Russia collusion. They continue to accept a Pulitzer that was built on, in some part, false stories. And so I think that uh, that little inkling of hope that I see with my old colleague from AP Sally Busby at the Post, it's a little tiny spark. I hope it leads to a brush fire because journalism has to be burned down in some way we have to clear the smoke of our failures and The New York Times and CNN and uh, The Washington Post and other major institutions that got things wrong in Russia. The only panacea they have with the American public is to retract their wrong
0: stories. And I hope they do that. Yeah, I do, too. Uh, hope springs eternal. Right. It's like you said, a little spark <laughs> of somebody doing something the right thing. And I always think to myself. They have to get up and look at themselves in the mirror every day, and they, in the back of their mind, they know they're lying. You're, you're lying by omission or whatever else. It's just, you know, it's just a shame. And I, I think that, uh, I, well, my opinion on the Obama Spygate thing. So, so when you think about the Obama Spygate piece, and like I said, you've been on this from, from way back. You think that's yeah. the biggest? Uh, you think that's the biggest political scandal in modern U.S. history? It's certainly up
1: there. Listen, there's been a lot of things that have happened in the last quarter century, and history will tell us 20, 30, 40 years what was the most consequential. And I think journalists who tried to predict it early on often look foolish. Remember all the people that would go on CNN, MSNBC, even some on Fox, who would call the Russiagate uh, 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 our generation's Watergate. It turned out to be anything but that, at least from the Trump perspective. Now, maybe it will be Watergate when we're done. Uh, We still don't know a lot of facts. It's five years later. Uh, we've declassified documents. I've won lots of FOIAs. I wrote an entire book on this. Uh, and we still only know about 40% of the truth about what the FBI knew, what the Clinton campaign really did, who was involved. And I think we need to wait for John Durham to finish investigation. But what is clear now is that there are four clear losers from the Durham indictments. First are the people who are indicted. So uh, whether it's Klein Smith, the lawyer at the FBI who doctored uh, evidence, uh, Sussman who's accused but not yet convicted of lying to the FBI as Hillary Clinton's lawyer, uh, or Angor Danchenko just indicted for lying multiple times to the FBI, contriving things that were in the dossier, Uh, they're they're already losers, right? Uh, Their lies and their misconduct is out there for everybody to see. I think the media is a second big loser. All their stories are now unraveling, and that Washington Post anecdote gets to that. The uh, Hillary Clinton campaign has clearly been exposed for being. You know, they pretended they were on the sidelines and hearing about this and shocked. They created the entire charade that was Russia collusion, from the PR executive we just learned about this week, Charles uh, Dolan, all the way up to Steel and Fusion GPS and Sussman and Perkins Coie. It was an all-in Hillary Clinton uh, operation to create a political dirty trick that voiced a lie upon the American people. So they're the second big loser. The third big loser is the FBI. at this moment, given the evidence that John Durham has exposed, there's only two possible explanations for the FBI's conduct. One is they are so incompetent they couldn't figure out that they were being lied to by Steele and Danchenko and and that this was an operation by Hillary Clinton campaign. And they couldn't figure it out even when the CIA told them in first in July and then in September, hey, this is a dirty trick by Hillary Clinton. They still couldn't figure it out. That's not good for the American people if our FBI is that incompetent. The other alternative is members of the FBI, particularly its leadership team, were complicitous. They knew it was false and they decided for some personal political reason or or bureaucratic reason, they were gonna sustain this investigation and dirty up Donald Trump in the absence of any wrongdoing. Either one of those outcomes for the FBI, which are the only two possible outcomes,
0: are not good for the American people, not good for the institution that is the FBI. And that's another reason why we're so happy to have you on the show. You just put it together very <laughs> concisely. And that's a great explanation. I just, and that's where it's all landing. Uh, yeah, so thanks for putting that light like you did. And, and I, I, yeah, I've, I've been watching this thing like you for years, and it just, uh, it gets a little depressing. Uh, but I'm happy. I was one of those that I was getting impatient with Durham, and I'm, okay, is this yeah. just not going to happen now? And so uh, hopefully all that time that went into it was very, you know, very thoughtful and deliberate because it's a big deal. And uh, a lot of powerful people involved in this, and uh, you gotta be careful how you roll it out. So I get that as well. Um, There's also
1: been a lot of secret fights that we haven't seen over grand jury subpoenas. Uh, The Perkins Coie law firm had to give up law firm records. That probably took a lot of litigation. So some of it's been delayed by just traditional grand jury subpoena fights, but it seems like it's picking up speed. And I'd watch for the investigation to tip back in the next couple of weeks. Uh, next month or so back to FBI conduct. We focused on Hillary Clintonland the last two indictments. I think we're headed back towards the FBI in the next round of activity
0: in the case. Interesting, good, good. And I, and I hope the FBI can survive. You know, uh, yeah. the guy, guys in our generation are just like, oh, I was so this uh, venerated organization and, you know, uh, so much confidence, but you can just feel the confidence coming out of that balloon and I just, uh, I it's just hope right. they make it make it back. Um, but off, as is taught, you know, oftentimes with scandals, organizations have to go through a you know kind of a cleansing, and you just got to call it what it is. Uh, so, um, so in that regard too, this whole kind of you know this newsrooms going back to where they were. Hopefully, um, I'm just interested in the personal side of this. So you have these long relationships with all these reporters. How do your colleagues treat you these days now that you're having all this success with just the news? Is there like a, a different dynamic now or what's, what's going on there? Listen, I think the most painful time for me
1: as a journalist was the period of the fall of 2019 to the summer of 2020 when all the my Ukraine reporting was being falsely portrayed in the media as a conspiracy theory. Um, and uh, uh, people are saying I you know, was working as a foreign agent. They made out all sorts of allegations. None of that was true. And uh, people that I had worked with for 20, 25 years who knew how I reported, why I reported, knew that I had an impeccable record of being accurate and that I take accuracy so seriously that I often read my stories to every source beforehand. I I fact check them uh, relentlessly. They turned against me and I I can put up on the wall today 150, 200 stories at news organizations where I worked or people I worked with who wrote stories that are demonstrably false. And I got to see just how bad the media had evolved, because I could look at things and say, well, that's just not true. I mean, look here, I have a document Uh When, when uh, Lieutenant Colonel uh, Vindman came out and said, there wasn't anything in John Solomon's stories uh, that were accurate, I wrote a story, said, here's every line of my, my eight or 10 Ukraine stories I wrote for the Hill, here's every fact, here's a document for every fact, could someone please tell me where my factual error was? Neither he nor any news medium. Uh, ever uh, found a fact wrong. And in fact, the, the Hill found no factual corrections that needed to be made to any of my stories. But that there was a period of eight to 10 months where I got to see what it's like to be uh, surrounded by the pranas that are the journalism institution, feeding frenzy without regard to fact, emotion overcoming uh, neutrality. And I got pilloried for a long time. And then after uh, Joe Biden gets elected, what did we find out? Oh, Hunter Biden was under criminal investigation the whole time. Just like I said, uh, I, uh, the State Department officials' testimonies come out and they say, we saw conflict of interest, just like I reported. Everything that the media pilloried in my reporting today has now been authenticated. Not a single one of those institutions have ever come back to me and said, hey, can we do another story? Can we follow up? They just move on from the mess that they created, the personal destruction they imposed upon me and my family. Uh, and, and they just move on with no regard or no concern. And, you know I'm a small fish I'm a journalist I got thick skin I you know but what if you're Joe six-pack and you don't have that experience that you get waylaid like what has happened look at Kyle Rittenhouse how much different the, the case looks today now that we've heard his side of the story after he was pilloried pilloried for months by by the media this pack mentality this um, mob mentality that the journalism are are practicing right now it is harming individuals lives and reputations and personal Uh, experiences and the institutions walk on with no regard for what the damage they created. At some point, I think courts or somebody has to step in and impose punishments that cause journalism institutions to go back to a better form of journalism.
0: Yeah. And I think that what you just described, what you went through personally, you know, I commend you for your courage because in this day and age, you have to decide if you're going to be willing to stand up to it or not. And yeah. you just, once you decide and you go forward, there's some freedom in that, but you still have to take the, take the arrows, you know? And I, and I think that, uh, you are definitely up to that challenge. And, and I think this accountability piece, I don't know exactly where it's going to, I think there's a, there's an element of business in this too, you know, with your success, uh, the entrepreneurial thing, like we were talking about earlier, uh, and delivering the truth. Uh, The more they lie, the more it's going to hit them uh, financially, and then there are boards of directors at these places, so they can't keep, you know, uh, or maybe they can, maybe they will ride the thing into the ground, you know, I don't know, but you'd think they wouldn't, and so accountability can come through that way just from the business aspect of it, but I also think people like you need to, more people like you need to just keep calling them out, and 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 that's what we do as well. There's
1: a scary thing going on, and I'm shocked that my profession doesn't speak up about it, even one iota. You have proposed in the large reconciliation bill, the social welfare bill that Joe Biden, the Democrats want to pass, a provision to provide billion or more dollars of taxpayer money to private journalists. Now, in my time as a a, a reporter, we never wanted to take money from the United States government. it's a conflict of interest. We have to cover them every day if they're paying for your journalism. So my generation shunned that with the exception of the NPRs and PBSs, which take some. But you now have newspapers clamoring and cheering on this proposal uh, by a couple of Democratic senators to take taxpayer money and give it to journalists. Nothing will compromise our integrity and our sense of independence from U.S. government more than taking a whole lot of money from those institutions. And I you know, I really call on my profession, don't take that money. It's like Judas's coins. It, it's not worth taking. The, you're going to lose so much uh, credibility in the coin of uh, the public trust. It's not worth any penny or dollar or billion dollars you can get from the U.S. government.
0: But I don't hear any of my colleagues speaking up saying, what a bad idea that is. Yeah. And so you have all these people that are more in the know, like you and your and your colleagues. and people making decisions. But I also think this is the great thing about our country. It's vast. I think it's center right. I think that people are paying attention probably more than we give them credit for at times. And so where do you think this is all going? So I, I tie this in with, you know, the success of just the news and then, um, and then we have basically, you know, we have a lot of ordinary Americans who are just saying, you know, where do I go? to get what I need. And I obviously encourage him to look at what you're doing, but put that in a larger context of where do they go and where do you think this whole thing is going over time? Well, listen, I think the
1: school movement last year, the pandemic trapped us at home, parents suddenly found out what their teachers were really teaching their children. It got parents empowered to say, you know what, I'm gonna go out and get my own facts. I live in a world where I can Google, I can do open records requests, I can go to school board meetings, and I've been too complacent I've been happy and fat, and I didn't realize what was going on in my schools. And I think that's lit a grassroots fire that is now expanding to beyond just what's going on in schools. And so I think the 2020 election results, 2021 election results that we just saw, Virginia, New Jersey, where a Democrat had a near-death experience, the Senate president got uh, beat by a Republican who spent $2,000, who's a truck driver by practice, Mm -hmm. Um, that they have sent the message. The American people have said, you know what? You and government have gone too far. We don't want government in every part of our life. We don't believe you can fix anything. Look, you, did, you told us you're going to fix the pandemic. You haven't. You told us there wouldn't be inflation. We haven't. Uh, you told us we'll get out of um, Afghanistan with grace. We didn't. Uh, we're tired of big government. And I think the, uh, the big debate that the 2022 election will put in front of us, accelerated by what happened in last week in the or midterm or the off-year election, is uh, it's gonna be a a debate between big government socialism, which is what the left side of Joe Biden's party stands for. That's what AOC really is, a big government socialist. Bernie Sanders, many of those, uh, all of those sitting there in that group, uh, uh, they're they're big government socialists. And then there are those who said, you know what, I still believe the free market capitalism, less government federalism works. I like what Ron DeSantis is doing in Florida, that might say, or Greg Abbott. And we're gonna vote for smaller government We're going to reject that uh, other side because it looks like communism i think that is the election question that voters are going to face in 2022 and the decision they make is probably going to define the america we live in for the next 10 years so that's why 2022 is so important but 2022 is going to boil down to a debate between big government socialism and uh, free market capitalism or as ronald reagan used to say uh, either government is the solution or government is the problem he always believed it was the problem
0: Voters are gonna decide on that fulcrum and it will define how we live for the next 10 years. Couldn't agree more. Uh, that big government piece kept expanding until the straw that broke the camel's back was you mess with the kids. Yeah. And I think, you know, Americans were patient and all that, but wait a minute, you're messing with my kids? Okay, that's enough. Now we're gonna start pushing back. And it started with like what you said with the moms and everybody in the grassroots starting to, starting to push back. So yeah, I think there's a lot of things to be, you know, optimistic about out there. We just gotta keep sure. fighting got to keep fighting.
1: The the pendulum of democracy has always been great. We are in a constitutional republic and there's this gravity that when our pendulum of politics swings too far right or left uh, that uh, the the American people always seem to bring it back toward the center to maybe a slightly center right one click to the right uh, uh, comfort zone. That's where I think Americans are most comfortable in. Occasionally they get scared. They move in one direction or the other. But gravity has a way. Political gravity in our democracy has a way of bringing us back to our senses. And I think we're in that correction moment right
0: now. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. Well, hey, thanks for all you're doing. Uh, Really great work. Love Just the News. And uh, really appreciate you coming on today, John. Uh,
1: My pleasure. Good luck
0: to you. All right, thanks. All right, that's our show for today. Thank you so much for tuning in and for supporting conservative media. Don't ever forget that by working together and staying diligent, we conservatives can bring our country back to true greatness. Until next week, let's all keep praying that God will continue to bless America. First Right, a new kind of news summary without liberal slant. Every morning, in your inbox, always free. Subscribe now at restorationofamerica.com slash First Right or text First Right to 1-312-820-9167.